Hello, you're listening to Angel Nears, a Silicon Valley community for startup builders where founders and operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov, and our guest today is Lily Chen, the founder and CEO of Contenda, a content creation service that uses generative AI to repurpose technical content from podcasts, blogs, transcripts, and more into new formats quickly. Uh, Being content people ourselves, we're excited to learn more about this technology. But before we get into that, let's bring on today's guest. Lily, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Oleg. Appreciate you bringing me on. Yeah. I like to start these things by learning a little bit about the guest before we get into the technical details. So let's do that. I see you spent some time in college uh, working in and building up a few communities. It looks like you also have a couple of interesting technical experience next to your name. You were even acqui-hired at one point by Facebook. So with that in mind, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background as a startup founder? You know those um, icebreakers where they're like two truths and a lie? (laughs) Sure. So so my, uh, I feel like my go-tos are usually, I say that uh, I was a Buddhist monk. I dropped out of high school and I studied computer science. Obviously the lie there is the computer science because that's what makes the most sense for me. So yeah, that's, um, I mean, man, I don't, the quick background is so hard for me. So let me, let me just do my best. I dropped out of high school, became a Buddhist monk went to college on a scholarship for writing a, like a personal statement about my life. And I guess somebody felt really bad for me and was like, we'll let her in. So once I went to Colorado college, originally wanted to be an economics professor, absolutely fell in love with that, the field loved teaching. So I really wanted to work with students and continue the academia route. Ended up needing to fulfill some financial obligations on behalf of my parents and my younger sister who got uh, quite ill. So then I was like, okay, I need to make a lot of money now. And then I thought, what's well, going to pay me a lot of money? Silicon Valley is going to pay me a lot of money. Let's, let's learn to code, become a software engineer. So I did that. Uh, I worked at a cybersecurity firm in Boston called Rapid7. Then I joined a friend's gaming AI startup as like their first technical hire. That got acquired by Facebook, as you so wonderfully mentioned. And when I was at Facebook, one of my side projects went viral, and that's Contenda. Boom, done. Wow, that was awesome. High school seems like a little bit young. I just want to unpack that a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> sure. To be to be to be dropping out to to pursue Buddhist monk life. Were you living in the states at the time? I, I, I kind of like. How did you even? I moved to China. I moved to China. So I, I was a monk in China, but yeah, I was living in the states. When I was, I think the legal age to drop out of high school in New Jersey is like 16. So sometime between 15 and 16, I was like, I'm done with this. Wow. School's for losers. Just kidding. Stay in school, guys. Stay in school. How long were you in China practicing? I was a monk for two years and I lived in China for one year. When did you decide you wanted to start a company? I didn't. When I was at Facebook, the original intention of having the side project that we also called Contenda at the time, it was a different side project. Uh, It was, I mean, it did something completely different. We originally built it because we were bored during COVID. So it was during one of the like three big quarantines, I want to say. It was during one of the mandatory, like we are shutting this town down nobody move so it was during one of those and we were we knew it was about to happen because it happened before so i had like emergency flew out my friends from across the country to 
the my home in Silicon Valley in Sunnyvale, actually. And I said to them, I was like, look, they're, we're about to go into lockdown again. Who knows how long it's going to last this time? You know, last time it was three days. Then it was two weeks. Like this next one could be a month, could be longer. That's a long time. You know, the last couple were already pretty rough. Like, let's get together this time and like batten down the hatches together. So that was the original intent. In fact, when I flew them out, we didn't even plan to build a project. We actually originally planned to play video games together. That was the original plan. We were just going to like hang out. And then I think on like day two, we didn't make it very far. I think on like day two or day three, we were like, should we build something? Would that be fun? Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's the Silicon Valley hackers. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's hilarious. Just put them all in a room together and see what happens. How about like, you said it went through changes and it did something early on that was different. Did the name stick? I was kind of like, that's always my first question when I'm looking at a company is like, what's, what's the meaning behind the name there? Okay, so what we originally did was we helped a Twitch streamer AB test their subscribers with a retention play. And this experiment ended up helping him break a Guinness World Record for most subscribers on Twitch in a month. There's a Wikipedia page about it. If you want to read about it, um, you can search Ludwig, Ludwig Subathon. And we're mentioned in this article for for running this like A-B test because Twitch has a really, really high churn with subscribers. And you can imagine why it's not a... Liking a streamer is not exactly a sticky product. (laughs) Anyway, why did we call it Contenda? I think what happened was I needed to put in a like team workspace name for like some service that we were signing up for. I can't even remember what it was, but I needed to put in a team workspace name. And I was like, I don't know. We're like doing stuff with like content creators, like con. <laughs> uh, I actually think that's it. That was it. Content. And it was like 1am. Yeah. It was like, super late i was really tired and i i remember yelling into the basement i was like any objections if i just call it contenda and i think people yelled back no that sounds fine (laughs) yeah yeah so here it works yeah i was like i was googling it i was looking at it like okay to contend with something means to handle like maybe you're handling your content but uh, i mean just the fact that it's like content no it was a late night decision (laughs) that stuck that's hilarious. All right, let's talk about typical challenges for content creators. What what are those typical challenges that content creators face? And then what promises does generative AI make in this space? Can I call it generative AI what you guys do? I don't consider it generative AI, actually. Oh my gosh, that's a whole nother can of worms. In my eyes, something that is purely generative is creating something new. And yes, models are trained on data. So like what is new? I think it's new if you just ask it to do something from scratch. That makes it, in my eyes, like pure generation. That's like mid-journey. That's ChatGPT. Uh, and I think there are a couple of apps that are built on top of both those things that I would also say are, are pure generative. We we don't do that. So the way that Contendo works today, we don't do the Twitch thing anymore. So the Twitch thing was a bait. We don't do it anymore. <laughs> the way that Contendo works today is we do source ingestion and management, and then we allow a drag and drop to build new content from older pieces. So that's a very different workflow, but let's imagine this, right? You have, what? Am, are we episode 88? We're episode 88, yes. right? 
Correct. Okay. So you have 87 previous episodes before this. You could upload them all onto Contenda and Contenda would break them all down into chunks. So it would first take that podcast file, break it down to a transcript, and then from the transcript, chunk it out into topics and the subtopics that belong to all of them. And then it has all of these put together. Then you select kind of like what you want to make out of it. So let's say it's like a LinkedIn post. Maybe you want to do like a, um, a hun- looking back on a hundred episodes or looking like, you know, lessons learned across a hundred episodes, something like that, some type of like listicle format. Maybe that makes sense to your audience. You could then use Contenda to, with all those sources, basically drag in like lessons from various episodes you were the host so you probably have a good recollection of a lot of them and it'll remind you it'll be like oh do you remember episode 52 like that was super awesome this person said this really great quote and uh contenda has like those quotes pulled out into that section and you just drag it in and then it fills it out with um like with the actual content from the original sources so i don't consider that pure generation because it uses your content to make new content yeah yeah i was coming up with the word repurposing like content repurposing yeah i think a lot of people use that term um we say we unlock existing content mm-hmm. just to get the, the content in front of more people and uh kind of use what's what you already have like th- that's a much more exciting idea than i think people kind of give it give it credit so like i mean honestly the idea of like generative like pure generation it's exciting and it comes with a lot of risk like that. This is kind of how I think about it. Generative AI is very cool as like a demo in terms of like the magic moment feels really strong with generative AI. When it's good, you're like, how did it cook that up? But when it's bad, it's so bad. It's, it's bad for a lot of reasons. It's bad because it's wrong. It's bad because the it's offensive. It's bad for 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 being boring like there's so many reasons why with repurposing content and then kind of using ai to enable that repurposing workflow it's consistent it's stable it's going to always stay true to the things that you've said it's going to sound like content that you've already made right but it's going to give you more more mileage for for stuff you've already made And, and the reality is that we're not very good at bringing stuff up that we've already made. Like we kind of let things go once we've made it. We're always focused on bringing the next thing out, like writing that next blog post, writing that next thing. But some of our greatest hits are, you know, just waiting to be reused. So let me go back to the question. Okay. What are some typical challenges that content creators face and what promises does Contenda make in this space? Okay. So some typical challenges is typically around bandwidth and uh, effort scale that kind of thing. So with repurposing content, basically it's you have to kind of rewatch or re-listen to a bunch of things to make a repurposed content. So like, you know, if you do an episode a week and you wanted to do like a centennial recap across a hundred episodes, you probably have a pretty good memory, at least of the last 10 and maybe some, some ones that really stuck out to you. But if you want to do a fair recap on all of these, you'd have to go back and listen to probably all hundred of them. If you want to actually recap all of them. So that's just a lot of effort that just takes forever to scale. So that's the kind of thing that Contenda can automate by pulling out the main topics, pulling out the quotes for you. You can kind of imagine it doing all the grunt work and then letting you do the creative side of being like, okay, how do I want to put this final piece together? How do I want to put the art together? but it's going to bring out the material for you. 
So that's one of the the biggest challenges is that these teams don't have the bandwidth to be putting out content like that. So a lot of teams will say like, you know, we really should be publishing like twice a week. We should be publishing three or four times a week. We just don't have the bandwidth for it. So we, we can only do it once. We can't own too many platforms. We can't be in charge of too many programs because we're just, we won't be able to keep up with all of those things. Uh, and so I think Contendo, what it allows people to do is let people be people in terms of the creativity part, in terms of crafting a narrative. Uh, and then Contendo just gives you the material so you can craft that narrative. What does your target user look like? Is this for like a small team that is, you know, like making a podcast or I don't know, doing something on social media or is it for something larger? We have a couple of different tiers, so it can work for lots of different people. We have quite a few people who use it just for a personal brand. So maybe they make YouTube videos once a month or something pretty low lift. Maybe they just stream on Twitch every once in a while. They produce blogs for their, you know, personal website. That's the kind of the pro creator tier. I think it's like $20 a month. So it's pretty affordable. You can, I think it's comparable to like a Canva subscription or something like that. The next level up is sort of for SMB. So that means that you have at least like one full-time marketer. Maybe you're Mm -hmm. relying on contractor help or intern help. You have a, a pretty small team And this one person is probably responsible for like all the different platforms. Maybe they have like a social media assistant or something like that, but they're pretty much responsible for strategy, creation and execution. So that tier, you know, that's, that's for the the SMB. And then on the highest end, we have basically like a full enterprise tier where you have not only a marketing team that specialize, you have probably an entire marketing team for just LinkedIn. You have an entire team for like, the platform that used to be known as Twitter, you know, like you have marketing teams for different products, stuff like that. So, so you're actually trying to collaborate across multiple different products, multiple different platforms. There's a lot of people involved. You probably actually also still have some type of agency involved in doing some of the execution work too. What would some of the popular use cases be for this type of tool or technology? I'll give you one that I thought was pretty unexpected. Mm-hmm. One of the unexpected use cases is white papers to like plain English. Um, that has done really surprisingly well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of companies will put out some type of white paper. It could be a book, you know, it could could be an actual academic research paper. This is on the larger side, right? Like you're you have like a PhD on staff who's putting out this type of content. That mm-hmm. PhD person is not going to write a LinkedIn post about their paper right? It's like beneath them, whatever. Mm. They might they might feel that way. They might also just be bad at social media. There could be a ton of reasons why that this person who wrote the original white paper has no interest in making this into a digestible format for other people. But mm. there's a lot to be learned in those papers. And the company has a lot of good reasons for wanting other people to know the content, right? Because that means they're pushing the boundaries of technology, they're changing the landscape, for whatever reason, they basically want to be known for this type of content. So the problem is that the marketing team is then given this white paper that, and they don't have a PhD, not in this field, not in this like highly niche specialty field. Like how do they take that white paper and transform it into blogs, into socials, into all the different materials that they need. And they oftentimes can't. And it's like pulling teeth, trying to get that engineer, that PhD person 
to explain to them what this paper is about so that they can then write something. They have to then give that, you know, their draft to that PhD person who reads it, tears it apart and is like, no, 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 this, I, I use this word because it's very specific. I need it to mean this. I don't want you to change the word to that. I don't like that. Yada, yada. And this back and forth is super hard. And so that's one of the use cases for contender that I was pretty surprised about. I didn't realize that that was a, a big problem for teams. A white paper to me is like almost like a summary or, you know, something that's like information that's kind of been distilled down to the essentials. And so is this taking like that summary or something kind of small and then repurposing it to something larger, like multiple blog posts? Oh, dang. I think we have different ideas of what white papers are. (laughs) I'm so glad you defined it. Okay. I thought it was a research paper. A white paper to me is like a research paper that... It's basically like without the citations, like a like a like something that you might publish on a for for PhD, right? Like yeah, like a research paper. To me, it's like I was always looking up white papers for in my previous life. I was an agile project manager, so I would look up like one of those agile terms that was like like backlog, and I'd have a white paper for backlog, and then I could have that when I needed it. When someone asked like, oh, like what what does this word backlog even mean? I could kind of have like a Something that was already oh, a summary. That's the exact opposite yeah. <laughs> of what I have seen white papers. Like white papers on AWS are so, so dense and so hard to read. Like when I read about like, you know, AWS will release white papers about like their newest like pipeline model and stuff like that or why it's different, how it's whatever. And it's like so dense. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, that's, that is funny. It's like opposite definitions. <laughs> yeah, that does make a big difference, doesn't it? How about the ROI for those clients? The website says like enterprise clients can ship content 10 times faster with 80% of the cost savings. How do you figure that? Yeah, I actually, so we wrote a blog post about this, but back when we were trying to figure out like what we wanted to build, so we were in a hiatus stage. Um, one thing we learned was that people were spending a lot of money on technical writing agencies. Uh, and we heard some pretty high numbers. So like on the on the high end, and I do admit that this is the high end, like we heard people spending $7,000 plus on a single blog post. If there was like a very niche information, like knowledge base involved, it was it got really expensive. And on the low end, we were still hearing like high hundreds, low thousands for singular blogs as outcomes. So that's, that's where this idea came from, actually. We were like, it shouldn't cost that much. And where the cost comes in is that it requires an entire team to produce that one output. So the way that the company thinks about it is that like, I paid this PhD person to do this research, to write this research paper. I now need to distribute it. So what am I going to do? I don't want to just let it die, right? Like I don't want to just get it buried anywhere. So I'm going to hire this agency team where they will do all the work to understand what this paper is about. They will figure out how to distill this information. They will then actually execute and write all of the different pieces that I need to come out of this. And they're going to post it onto my different platforms. So that's where the, that's where the price comes from is that it usually takes an entire team to meet just one person's content. Does that make sense? Like one person made the original piece, but then to repurpose it, it took an entire team. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they want to for very good reasons. Like they're like, no, this this like 
the whole point of this, like the fact that we have this PhD person doing this research is so that we can push our brand forward is so that we can own this like top of funnel, own this term, right? All of those things are very, very critical to brands as they try to differentiate. So uh, mm-hmm. that, that's why the value is placed on it. That's why it was so expensive. And so for us, we, we don't actually charge by output. We charge by ingestion. So the amount of stuff that you want to give contented to digest, because that's basically where our costs. So we want to align mm-hmm. our costs with our customers. And then we allow you to create uh, unlimited outputs. And that was going to be my follow-up. So how'd, how'd you come to that decision of um, pricing it based on ingestion? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I feel like that's just the best value for our customers, right? Like, Because everyone keeps saying they would like to do more, but it gets too exp- Like you're resource limited in some way. And for now it's labor, but after AI, it's going to be cost. <laughs> like you're going to be limited by something, right? And so we wanted to align our costs with your costs And that for us comes on ingestion because once you are producing content with the stuff that's already ingested and like, you know, we've already organized it and pulled out all the topics and have everything there. um, It's basically free on our end when you make new things. It's only uh, it gets expensive if you're going to upload, you know, 100 gigs of video files. Mm-hmm. So I already kind of asked the, the the market question, but like, what would you name the, uh, your market? I'm sorry? <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what would I you mean? call your market? Like, what, what, what kind of tool? I, I, we said repurposing, or I said repurposing content, but like, what would you kind of call your tool? Okay, I would say it's bespoke repurposing content. And I do mean like that part, or maybe curated, if I wanted to put another terminology in there. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the the things that we do really well is we turn idea people into writing people, and those are historically two different camps. How so? Like, isn't writing like the best way to kind of think through your ideas? I agree. <laughs> I absolutely agree. But I, when you talk to you know, when you talk to a grumpy engineer, I think you'll hear this but they they don't want to do that they they don't want to write you a blog post they don't want to write on your socials there are a group of engineers called developer advocates who are happy to make content but i think they're a minority the average engineer the average executive let's even say does not necessarily want to be doing this how competitive is the market for this right now like are there lots of other players in this space i would say that the ethos for other players is a lot closer to pure pure generative AI, meaning it's like, make me a summary for blank. And that I think is a, is different in terms of the type of output it's going to create. So you can't, you can't necessarily, you know, with a pure generative product, you can't just say like, write me a, a summary of the Angel Nears podcast across the last hundred episodes. That's obviously not going to do well because you need to give it something right you have to tell it like what were the podcast episodes about what do you think were the important parts of the episodes because if you don't i almost guarantee you that gbt4 defaults if you ask it to it will actually just probably tell you about who was on the podcast which is interesting but i think that the value probably comes from what those people say or like why should you care that this person was on your podcast but it just knows like the names and what the internet says about those people. So that's, it's going to spit that. That's probably what it's going to, yeah, that's what it's going to get back to you. And I don't think that that's valuable for your audience or for 
or for the product. So, so in terms of like, is the space crowded? I think the AI space is so crowded right now. And I think content creation is so crowded right now. And I think budgets are way tighter than they were last year. Last year, when we were doing sales calls, it was like, you know, one call, two calls, contracts being passed around, negotiations were good to go. It didn't take that long. This year, we're hearing a lot more things like check back in Q1. Like we've actually, we're already spoken for for the rest of the fiscal year. Like, you know, all these things. That's new. That was not the case um, in previous years. So I, I asked some of our investors about this and they said that a lot of their portfolio companies are, are hearing something pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Why do you think the excitement's gone down or yeah, that, that will to throw money at, at this kind of stuff? Um, I mean, budgets are tight and there's, there's been layoffs like across the board. I think excitement for AI is actually still really high. I think one is that businesses are underestimating the cost of continuously running AI because like the, right, we have costs on top of well, whatever we charge, we are also incurring costs through the, through the APIs that we use. Those can really add up over time. And when I, when I talk to people about pricing, I think one of the things that they don't necessarily internalize is that, that underlying price. So I think one is that businesses are not necessarily appropriately allocating budget for the AI that they want. And then two is that overall, across the board, all budgets are smaller. I mean, one thing um, my, my CTO and I were talking about this is that we feel like Two years ago, the theme was how do I optimize productivity? This year, we feel like the theme is minimizing cost. If that sums up anything for you. Yeah, no, it does. And there's less, like budgets are tighter, like you said, and people aren't computing or they don't, they underestimate, I guess, the cost of using these tools. Yes. They drastically, I think, (laughs) underestimate the cost. And how expensive is it? Like, okay, let's keep talking about the podcast. Like, say say we were a big team. Right now, it's a, a, a smaller team. But say we were, like, a large team of, say, 10, and we had, like, this budget, and we had 100 episodes. How, how expensive would it be to, like, process 100 episodes? And I guess this kind of leads me to the question I want to ask about the product. These tools in generative AI, there's typically like training involved. Is the training just on my podcast episodes or is there more training from the user's end? Okay. There's a lot of questions there. What do you want to, do you want to talk about the training part first or what do you, or the pricing part first? Let's do pricing because we started there and then yeah, just knock out the training question after that. Cool. So it depends on the size of the video files. So like a hundred episodes, let's assume, I guess they're like an hour. Mm Mm-hmm. If you already have the transcription, it's a lot easier. It really depends on how much words it comes out to. So like when API is charged by token, right? So that's basically what we need to do the math on is we'd have to figure out how many tokens between the two of us that we speak. And then the layer of transcription is obviously there's, you know, an API for that. Um, It's marginal, but significant, I guess, if you consider it over, you know, a hundred gigabytes. So so there's that. And then let's see, you asked, what else did you ask about pricing? Oh, for us, we don't charge for team size. Like we don't charge by seat. It's just by ingestion. So you can have as many people on your team or as few people on your team. That doesn't matter to us. 
and it's looking at words. So like I should uh, interview less chatty guests that are really efficient with their words and, and use less in their hour of talking because that'll be cheaper for me when I have to digest it. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's kind of funny. Like that's kind of crazy, but it, but I guess it makes sense. Like if, if words get converted into tokens, it's not really, because the file size I imagine would be the same if it's um, a lot of talking versus dead air. Now that I say that, it's probably not. Like a lot of talking on a podcast is probably a bigger file. It's usually for the file part. I mean, there's yeah, there's some cost to uploading the file itself. But like, yeah, in terms of the actual transcription part, usually the file size, the limitation there is actually around the Whisper API. Like we have to actually chunk it out sometimes based on the file size, even if the actual transcription is not that big. So there's just like random concerns. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I would have to say that the actual, it comes down to, to words. How, how many words did you say? Yeah, makes sense. Make every word count. All right. How about like a typical session using Contenda? Like say I want to use this. I have my audio clip. What do I have to do after that? Like what kind of inputs or directions do you want from the user? And then like what can I go and, and create? You only all you need to do is select the output format. So at the base tier, we have basically predefined output formats. One of them is like a social media post. It doesn't specify the platform. It's just basically like a shortened summary. You can use that and you can put in multiple sources, like I mentioned. So you could do this for like multiple. You could do it for all of August episodes, for example, something like that. At the higher tiers, the other thing that we do is we do a lot of customization templates. So if you know there's a format that's worked really well for you, we figure out what that format is in terms of defining it. And then we create it for you in the Contenda Studio app. And that lets you like select that. So there'll be like an engineer's um, template. And that's your template that you use. Maybe it's defined just for LinkedIn. Maybe you have another template that's for your newsletter, right? Maybe something like that. So you, you could define multiple custom templates. And then as I keep making episodes, I have those templates ready to plug the new episode into kind of. Yeah. So then like the next step beyond that is that on the highest level is that we have an API. So what we'll do is I'm not sure where the the final episode gets uploaded. Could be YouTube, could be Spotify, but wherever it is, we can basically set up a webhook so that on upload, it triggers the Contenda Studio ingestion and then it triggers the template. And so it ha- like it'll create the draft for you in the app and it'll just e- send you an email when the draft is ready. And you can imagine that that relationship would be very similar to having, you know, like a marketer on staff for you. And then how about editing? I imagine it's going to kind of show me the draft and, and if I want to like make changes, like what does that kind of look like for the, for the user? It's in Markdown. It's a Markdown editor in a web app. So you can make the changes uh, you can save it. You can share it with the original Oleg, who can then be like, yeah, that looks good to me. And then you can send it to publish from there. Is having the audio plus the video like much better than having just the audio? Or is it just like... No difference. No, no difference at all. Okay. Yeah, it's going to get distilled down to text no matter what. Interesting. What can I turn it into? I could turn it into... Well, yeah, can you just list everything? Like you, the website says like blogs, summaries, so... What kind of inputs and outputs are we playing with here? You can put in anything that turns into text. Like the re- like videos turn into text, basically. The people talking, that just turns into text. Uh, audio turns into text. Actual text. 
it's just text. And then the outputs are different text. <laughs> it's just different text formats. So what we don't do is we don't make clips of videos. So you're not going to be able to put in a podcast and get in like nifty little sound bites. That's not going to happen. But you will get YouTube descriptions. You can get LinkedIn, like, you know, LinkedIn thought leadership posts. You can get newsletter summaries. You can get website like you might have something where you timestamp things for the podcast and talk about the different topics that you do and have that little like description we we create all those are all different templates that are already predefined got it and then i don't have to like listen through my episode and like come up with those topics myself yeah and, and maybe you have like a segment that you think does really well so maybe there's a segment for example one thing that you like to pull out is something called something I learned. That's like the format of this post. It's a little bit unique in the sense that like timestamp descriptions are pretty consistent nowadays. But let's say you, you know, as a content creator, you're thinking like, oh, it'd be neat because I know my audience is very like learning minded. I'm going to create a new segment called something I learned. And it's going to be like three things about like this person said something, three things that like sparked curiosity in me. And it's going to be like one quote. So that's the format. You and I can have this conversation. You can tell me that that's the format you want to do. And then what I'm going to do is go into the back end and define, I have a JSON template for my uh, template. So a JSON template for the template. And I will mm. basically craft that for you. And I'm going to sign it to your account. And then when you go into Contenda, you're going to see one there that's called something I learned. And mm. you can then you know, play around with it. If you're happy with it, you can let me know. And I could then set up the full workflow for you where it, the second you upload that podcast, it puts that draft of the something I learned post into your email inbox when it's done. Hmm. How long does that take? Depends on the video. Yeah. Yeah. For like an hour, say of a podcast. Um, like, is it like in minutes? Is it, am I like waiting? Probably going to take hours? 20 minutes. No, no. Okay. Like 20, 20, 25. It, it, again, depends on the file size actually. Cause uploading takes a while. Like the actual upload mm. process can, can be pretty significant. Mm hmm. And then it's got to do the... It's got to actually do the processing. processing. It's got to do the writing part. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so, but I mean, for an hour long video, it's going to be under an hour. Yeah. So it's going to be way faster, right? Than having a marketer actually wait for you to upload it, send it to them. They got to listen to the whole thing. They got to synthesize it. They got to pull out the quote for you, the timestamp, write the draft, email you the draft for you to review. And then boom, we have cost savings. There you go. You got some call savings. So we've talked about ChatGPT. Does Contenda use ChatGPT in the tech stack or, or are you guys using something else? So ChatGPT, I guess technically the product ChatGPT, you're talking about OpenAI's 3.5, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we use we use 4.0. I mean, it, 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 there is a different model. It is like, I would say 4.0 is like significantly better. We also use Cohere's Anthropic 100K model. So we, uh, in terms of foundational models, we use both OpenAI and Anthropic. To kind of compare the two, or are they kind of like doing different jobs? They, they do two different jobs. Because it sounds like they do similar things. They do do similar things, but we use them in different use cases. Okay, got it. Have you considered using something other than ChatGPT? Yes. For the same we have. Thing? Yeah. And yeah. and why would you stick with ChatGPT? <laughs> the other the foundational models, the ones that are open source, mm -hmm. they are okay. They are not bad. But the quality mm -hmm. difference for GPT four is is significant. 
how would the experience differ like using ChatGPT versus Contenda? Like I, I imagine I could do similar things or could I? You're going to be limited by workflow, I would say is the biggest thing. So the way I think about this is, you know what Netlify is or Vercel? I do not. Okay. Netlify and Vercel are both very similar products, but they're, um, they're basically like easier ways to deploy websites. So anybody, you know, you can go to netlify.com or vercel.com right now and you can deploy a website very quickly from a GitHub repo. And what it does for you is it automates a lot of the workflow setup on AWS. Underneath the hood, both Vercel and Netlify use AWS. Now, you can just use AWS. Feel free. Go to AWS. Go conf- go configure your CloudFront. Go configure your S3 buckets. Go configure your code pipeline. And set this up so that GitHub, you know, triggers the deploy and then, you know, sends your website to all the CDNs and all the yada yadas. You can do it and it's actually cheaper. If you set it up in AWS yourself, you will save costs. What Netlify and Vercel both do really well is it shortens the time for you to get your website from like concept to production into seconds. Like it's it's quite frankly like staggering the difference. And and AWS is like a pain in the ass to use. There's a lot of issues with it. And there are documentation on how to do it, you know, and you can you can get consultants to like set it up for you. But you're going to be burning a lot of money, and the reality is that Netlify and Vercel are both very affordable to get started. I think it's 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 like twenty bucks a month, something like that. And that's how I view Contenda and ChatGPT. ChatGPT is like AWS. You can go ahead, you know, feel free to start uploading, like start go transcribe all of your podcasts. Go, you know, uh, ChatGPT has a very obvious token limit. There are ways to get around it. You can start feeding it into the chat interface one by one you know, try to get it all stored in memory, maybe use something like LangChain on top. So you're already adding additional complexity by having to add another tool on top, go, co- go configure their API. Um, alternatively, Contenda works in a drag and drop way. It's already there. It's already there. It's already been ingested. It's all organized for you. All the templates are defined. We can define curation for you. We can set up the a workflow for you. All of that just comes out of the box. So it's basically like a difference in quality of life. And the reality is that, like at the base level, Contenda is just as affordable as ChatGPT. I think ChatGPT is like eight dollars a month, and ours is like twenty bucks a month. I mean, that's that's a marginal difference. Drag and drop—that's what we like. Hallucinations are a common problem associated with generative AI models. How often does it happen with a with your tool, Contenda? Almost never. Almost never. I haven't gotten a complaint about it in a very long time. It's probably one of the reasons why people use Contenda over ChatGPT. Because of the way that we cite the original source, it's very difficult for Contenda to hallucinate content, right? Because I'm, I'm pulling it from your podcast. So someone had to say it, like I'm pulling it from the transcript. The only way that a hallucination could happen, and this is a very small category of hallucination, is if somebody did say those words, but they meant something else, which does happen. People misspeak. And you know, you and I have context, right? Like when we talk to each other, if I say something off the cuff that sounded wrong, you might be like, oh, that's not what you meant. But if it's in the transcript and it gets cited, it could be possible that Contenda interprets that as like the truth value of what I wanted to say. I haven't even seen it. But if you're asking me to think about a possible edge case, that's what I would think of. I'm thinking of like sarcasm. Like, is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. You say yeah. 
sarcasm, yeah. but it has to be pretty severe, you know, like you have to say something like pretty off because it does factor in like how often you talk, you know, like it does like, uh, I think large language models are pretty good about contextualizing things. So you'd have to be really sarcastic for a really long time. <laughs> All right. I'll try not to be. Let's talk a little bit about your startup journey. What are some key milestones or achievements uh, to date that you're most proud of? The current product that like we're selling, we built in like two weeks. So it was pretty fast. I think that my team is very fast. We're speedy, sp- speedy road runners. Uh, I think Honestly, and that's an achievement in its own right. You know what? I think we hired really well. We're a small team, but I really got to say this. Like, okay, and I actually am related to some of the people on the team. So this is definitely a nepotism situation. Uh, and that's sarcasm. <laughs> but the, I mean, it's a small team. We're eight, like we're eight people. And, you know, one of them is my cousin, but forget that guy. And I still love everybody else. I think like we're very good friends. We spend a lot of time together. And it doesn't feel like work. I think that's really important when I hate to say it, when you're, when you're under stress in any way, I think it's really important to, to like have the ability to just hang out and vibe and chill with other people without, without adding to the stress because building a startup is very stressful and there's a, you know, our world gets turned upside down on a dime. And so the ability to just hang out and, talk about work, not talk about work, have fun, be serious, get stuff done, be chill. That dichotomy, I think is really healthy. And it's something that I'm really proud of. Sounds awesome. I'm jealous. Yeah. Working with your dad, not so great. (laughs) Oh, no. no, I love it. I love it. (laughs) He's on the call, so he knows. (laughs) Next question. Can you talk about your roadmap? What kind of exciting things are you working on now? and, And where's this headed for you? We are working on a super exciting new product, actually. I'm so glad you asked. It's called Brain Story. And by the time that this episode comes out, you might actually be able to try it. Brain Story, kind of like one of the ideas that we had is like, how can we use AI as an interface, not to do, but to enable so like one of the things is that like Copilot, generative AI, all these things they do, right? Like they write code for you. They they write content for you. They create on your behalf. They they do the things that you don't want to do. And we've been experimenting with the concept of like how can AI enable me to do my best work? Not in a like do all the stuff I don't want to do so that I can focus on the things that I do want to do. But how can AI basically like push my thinking? How can AI like challenge me as an interface? So Brainstory is a collaborative tool where it's an async collaborative tool where you record yourself talking to it and it brings up natural follow-up questions that then goes to your teammates and your coworkers who answer that, who basically you have this basically this async dialogue that's AI assisted in terms of like prompting the next questions. You can say whatever you want. And the idea is that you're kind of like brainstorming, but it's a like a a brain story. Yeah, as you can see, we're very Whoa. good at naming. We're so yeah. good at naming things. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Well, you know how it goes. Yeah, we should have a prototype. We'll have by the time this episode comes out, there will 100% be at least a prototype. So you can email me, lilyatcontenda.co. <laughs> Do that, guests. Yeah, I, I um, that sounds exciting. And async tools like. 
it seems like kind of a, a fertile ground to me. We've definitely talked to, to companies with asynchronous tools and um, in a remote world, they just kind of make sense. Yeah, like a water cooler brainstorming concept, right? Like the idea of just being able to like have this spontaneous conversation, but it's not like forced spontaneity. So we'll see. We'll see. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's uh, check it out. And um, what's been most surprising to you as a first time founder? Working with investors. I'm so sorry if any of my investors are listening to this. I love you guys. You know, you're the best. You're just like really confusing sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I it's a I'm a first time founder right so like I just like am not familiar with the relationship between founder and investor and it's so different from every other type of professional relationship I've ever had it, it's not like employee employer it's not like peer to peer it's and it truly is its own thing I it's not even like maybe the closest thing I can think of is like coach to athlete but not like high school coach to athlete, like professional athlete to a professional coach. That level of like, diff and that's already a metaphor that I have no relation to because I'm not a professional athlete. So what do I know? <laughs> I, I can relate to it. I'm actually coaching currently and I played sports in college. A professional so athlete? I kinda, oh, okay. I, no, I wasn't professional. <laughs> I was like a level under that, but still in, like, in you know, you're not getting paid to play, but uh, you kind of are because the school can give you money or they it definitely gets players money to, to attend. So there is kind of like that contractual piece of it. And then you're, yeah, there's like the part where you're being coached, kind of like told what to do. How do you tell someone what to do? It's not even like telling them what to do. How do you get someone to do what you think they need to do without necessarily telling them? Yeah. And they're saying stuff like, well, why don't you just score more points? And you're like, mother... <laughs> if i could be scoring more points i too would like to be scoring you know you and i both want to win here but then sometimes simple advice is the best advice you know like you know sometimes people like one of my investors and shout out to mark mark was like well what if you just called that person up and just asked asked them what they thought and i did think that was silly and i did it and it worked out for me so shout out to mark yeah just score more points man yeah no it's hilarious how how often you can hear the same advice over and over and over and then like it just won't click until the moment it does and you're like oh that's what they meant by just pick up the phone okay last question here what's unique about contenda and what makes you stand out from the crowd okay I already gave a shout out to my team, but I do have to continue harping on this. I think between my uh, my CTO and I, we have about a decade of content creation experience, uh, creating stuff that's viral, creating stuff that's educational, creating things for college students versus devs versus professionals. Her name is Cassidy Williams, but you know she she's spoken at numerous keynote conferences. She's done a lot of different types of content creation. Similarly, I serve on the board of trustees for Colorado College. I serve on the board of directors for the AI Infrastructure Alliance. So between the two of us, we just have a very unique blend of experience of both what is AI good at, what is AI bad at, and what is good content? Like, what do, what do, what do people want? Because that's at the end of the day, like, that's what making good content is. It's making stuff that people want. And I think that Cassie and I are very in tune on that. Great answer. That'll be it for today. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, Lily, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you and Contenda, like learn a little bit more? 
Well, I've been told our landing page sucks, so I guess not that. <laughs> you can email me. I'm just <laughs> messing it's with you. An that, sounds like, that sounds like something an investor would say. Yeah, an investor would say that, wouldn't he? <laughs> um, my, my email address is lily at contenda.co. You can also send me a LinkedIn request. And I, I think my name is, that's just that, Lily Chen. You now know some of my experience, so hopefully that'll match for you. You can also follow me on the platform that formerly was known as Twitter. My mm-hmm. handle is Lily Doing Econ, and that's a shout out to my former dreams of becoming an economics professor. So, yeah, we didn't even get into the to econ. We'll have to save that for another time. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the podcast of broken dreams coming to you live sometime next year. All You're right, not a we're professional end- athlete. I'm not a professional <laughs> professor. Yeah, we could just make some cocoa and cry. It'll be a great episode. People will love that content. All right. Before we say anything else embarrassing, we're going to end it there. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Lily, for joining the show today. We appreciate your time. Bye.